get to him just because of other things. And today is, uh, he's laid another one on my heart, but this is not where uh, some of the things, I, well, there's a lot of things that are happening, um, happening right now politically and in our country that I want to talk about, but uh, um, I have to wait just for a little bit because uh, this is what he, uh, he wants me to talk about today. I noticed that I, I, I want to just simply say to you that I really believe that we're going to be able to uh, save uh, the church quite a bit of money when we do build the building. And the reason being was because the other day I was with, uh, we were at a funeral and all our ladies sitting on the back row back there. Uh, they also found the back row in the funeral home. So with that being said, I think we can build a church and not put a front row on it and we can probably save some money because they will automatically go to the back row. That's what they did. So, so anyway, that's what we'll do. So, so <laughs> heard a story one time of a of a of a, uh, a church that was trying to raise some money, and and when they were, uh, uh, this guy called the church, and and this guy said on the phone, the secretary said a answered the name of the church, and then she said, "May I help you?" And this said, this guy said, "I'd like to speak to the uh, the the big pig at the trough," and she said, "What?" She's, he said, I'd like to speak to the big pig at the trough. And he said, she said, sir, I don't know what you think, how disrespectful that you are, but we do not address our pastor, Dr. So-and-so, as the big pig at the trough. We just don't do that. He said, well, I'm sorry. He said, I was going to give a gift of about $10,000, you know, to the church. And she said, wait a minute, I think the big hog just walked in. <laughs> One of the things I think that people have a problem with, I want you to turn with me over to the book of Acts. One of the things I think that people have a problem with in the day that we live in, and the reason we've got so many people that are depressed and, and they feel like their life is here and there and everywhere and they just don't know what to do, is because they don't have a purpose in their life. They don't see that purpose. And yet I believe that once Christ comes into your life and he saves you for all eternity, one of the things he does, he starts putting a purpose in your life. He doesn't call everybody to be a preacher. He doesn't call everybody to be a missionary or anything else. But he calls you to do what he asks you to do. And in that essence, he asks you, he gives you a mission or he gives you a purpose in life. I also believe in that and as he has worked in my life, that he gives you visions and he gives you thoughts, he gives you dreams, and if you stay faithful to those things, he will bless you in those things. I read in the book of Acts, and we'll start reading, We're going, I'm only going to read two verses, and it's in Acts 26, and listen at this as I read verses 19 and verses 20. This is the Apostle Paul, and listen to what he says. He says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do work befitting of repentance. Paul says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision or the dreams or the vision that you gave me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that I can make this plain and I pray this would help us today. And give us such a purpose as we live our lives. And we know that it is in you that we live and we move and we have our being. 
that father that if we as as the bible teaches us over in the book of colossians that if we have come to the place that we've been raised with christ that we are to seek those things which are above where christ is sitting at the right hand of god give us a, a, a give us a vision of how each one of us can build your kingdom this is what you ask us to do you've asked us not only to do that sometimes father there are people that come to me and want to know what what ministry and, and get involved in ministry but lord right off the bat i would tell anyone that jesus has already commanded us and given each one of us a ministry to go to the highways and the byways and compel people to come in to the house of god before it is everlasting too late so i pray that you'd be with us today and so father may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, for you're our strength, you're our, uh, you're our redemption, you're our everything, Father. And as we've said so many times, we can't do this without you. So please, Father, be with us, we pray, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When the Apostle Paul had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, the Lord had to knock him off his horse and blind him. Now, some people think because their experience was quiet, and maybe they didn't have that road Damascus type of experience that, uh, that maybe their experience is not as real. But let me ask you a question here. What, why would, you know, if you really trust Christ and believe who he is and he's the truth, why would God have to knock you off the horse and blind you in order to get you to do that? And so sometimes I think that, and I think Paul would agree with me, that, that if, you know, and, and it's amazing to me, just like the prodigal, when the prodigal came to himself, the first thing he remembered was this. He remembered that his father in heaven was good and that the servants in his father's house had it better than most people. And you know what? You ever, there's how many people in here could testify to the very same thing? That you had come to a place in your life when you finally turned your life over to Jesus and all of a sudden you begin to realize how much he loved you, cared for you, and he had a purpose in your life. And so this is what's happened to Paul. In Acts 9, 6, Paul was frightened to death. He, he asked the question, and the question was this. When the Lord did this to him, he asked him simply, What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That's the same thing I think he, that we all ask. Lord, what do you want me to do? When you, I came to, when you and I came to Jesus, maybe we did not have a road to Damascus experience, but Christ came in. And whether we verbalize it or not, we also wanted to say, Lord, what do you want us to do? What do you want me to do in my life? You know, I, I work in a factory. Lord, I work in a hospital. I work, I, I'm on the road. I do all these other kinds of things. But Lord, in that, what do you, you call me to those things? Okay, Lord, how can I use this? Or what do you want me to do in this? I, I had a good friend that was in the used car business that believed that God had sent him there. Because there was so many, so many problems and things there that he said that God sent him to those group of people. I've always had this vision of someday putting a trailer out there, 96 truck stop, and putting it out there early in the morning and let our men go out there and just do devotionals. Because think about it, there's all these different people all over the world, everywhere, that would never don the door of this church. Those truckers that drive these roads all the time that we depend on, they, they, they can't be in church like you and I do. There are nurses that have this kind. Of, I'm telling you, there's all kinds of, uh, of people out there. We went, to, uh, we went one time up to uh, Preston when they had the court day. And I realized then, as I saw all these people that were grabbing their stuff and putting their stuff away, they'd been there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and they were packing up to go to another place. Here's this whole vast number of people that we're not reaching. 
And I feel like that's what, what it was in Jesus' day. The Pharisees had, they had the church so locked down that you couldn't even, a shepherd or somebody couldn't get in the church. That's why I think the Lord announced his first announcement that his son was born to a group of shepherds. The very ones that were not allowed even to come, they were considered unclean. They were allowed to go there. And so Paul, now nearing the end of his life, has been taken before King Agrippa. And he was taken there. He was arrested because a group of Jews were continually trying to kill him. And in fact, there were 40 men that took an oath that said, we will not rest until the apostle Paul is dead. And so here he is in prison. And he's now there, and now they have transferred him to Agrippa. Eventually, he will go to Rome, where he'll be beheaded. But now Paul, nearing the end of his life, has been taken before this King Agrippa. And, and he's also known as Herod Agrippa II. And, and Paul testifies to Agrippa because Paul never got tired. He never got tired of he never got tired of coming to the place in his life where he told people how he got saved. Amen? And I believe with all my heart that ought to be the very same thing in our lives, that we should never get tired of telling people how the Lord came into our life and he saved us. And in fact, the Bible says uh, that when it talks about the virtues and things that we need to add to our life, it says this over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. In other words, he's forgotten what Christ had done to him. How many times does the Bible have to say to us in our mind, it tells us over in 2 Corinthians 10, let bring every thought into captivity, but to captivity to what? To the obedience of Christ. God wants me to remember every day that Jesus loved me enough that he died for me. It ought to be paramount in my life. And so Paul testifies to Agrippa. And Agrippa makes a statement in Acts 26, verse 48. And Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. But folks, almost doesn't cut it. The Bible says, how shall we escape in Hebrews 2, 3? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Do you know you're saved? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that if you die today and stand in front of God, God were to say to you, how, you know, if God were to ask you, how, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And so Paul is allowed to speak, and he tells of his Damascus Road experience and how he met Jesus. And then Paul says in verses 19 and 20, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Jesus called you. He forgave you. Have you been disobedient to that vision that he gave you? That vision on the road to Damascus became the captivating force behind his success. It ought to be our captivating force. That the Lord loved me enough that he came and he sought me. I didn't see him. I wasn't looking for him. He came looking for me. And Paul teaches us of the power of a vision. We all know what Proverbs 29, 18 says. It says, where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is a church that has no vision whatsoever, if we don't see the future, if we don't come to the place that we understand why God's got us here, he didn't just come out here to make us comfortable so that somebody wouldn't sit in your seat. He didn't just come here so that I can just go on and live my life and every now and then I'll go, to, I'll go pay my dues or whatever, I'll go to church or whatever. He didn't come to do that. He came to revolutionize and change your life. 
He came to the place that everything you do in business, in your home, everything else is controlled by Jesus Christ. See, I could not save myself. But let me tell you something. After my age now of being 71, God has gotten me to the place now that I understand that the very problems and the things that exist in my life are a direct result because I don't depend on Him day by day, moment by moment. I could not save myself, but I, he, he keeps me, and I'm thankful for that. I don't understand how he loves me like he does, but let me tell you something. I cannot live this Christian life like he wants me to live it. The only way I can live it is absolute dependence upon him. And so we know what Proverbs 29 says, that where there's no vision, the people perish. Now, the New King James Version is closer to the Hebrew word. The vision is translated, and here's why I was translated. It's not translated vision. It's translated revelation. You show me a church that doesn't have a vision of revelation, they're going to die on the vine. And then they can't figure out why they don't have crowds of people or whatever else. And it's not the number of people that, may, that the Spirit of God doesn't move. That there are churches that, that simply the baptismal waters have not been stirred for I don't know when. They can't know the last time that they had, they had somebody walk the aisles and be saved. That they, can't, they, they, they don't know, well, the people sitting in the pews don't know the number. They can't remember the last time they really had a prayer answer. You know? Absolute, total dependence upon the Lord is what it's going to take. We build this building, it's going to be, I'm telling you, there's going to be, I know what it's going to be. It's going to be more pressure. It's going to be more things at us. And then we're going to have to have an absolute, total dependence upon Him. If it happens, if it happens. But in other words, the vision of revelation must come. What it means is a revelation, not just a vision. So it's got to come from God. That is, we have to have to be ascertained it is from God and it is not from me. That dream you had, that vision you said you saw, was that from God? I have people come to me all the time telling me stuff they want to do. You know, this kind of thing. It's now been 23 years ago when God gave me a vision of starting an independent work. I had to really determine as to whether the vision was of the Lord or just me and my ego. Because, brother, I know me. And I know, just like Paul says, within me dwelleth no good thing. And I know how ego gets. Get the big head. And what we all want to do many times, we want to start out by simply saying, look what I have done. And so in that vision, we have to know. I, I had to know whether it was the Lord, whether it was the pizza I ate the night before that was called. But when that vision, when you start having that dream or that vision or whatever it is, that, then you have to, if it, just, if it won't go away, and you just keep having it, and you keep having it, you keep having it, and you keep having it, and you keep having it, then when that happens, then you have to launch out and find It's almost like Samuel when he goes to Eli and he hears the voice of God and he goes to Eli. Eli was so living his life not in the spirit that he didn't even know the voice of God. But, but Samuel goes to Eli and he says to him, yes sir, what did you say? He said, I didn't say anything to you. Just go back to bed. He goes back to bed. He comes back the second time. Same thing. Third time. Finally, Eli looks at him and realizes that the voice is of, the God, of God. And he looks at him and he says to him, then you need to go say simply, Lord, here am I and here. And that's what you got to do. Lord, if this is truly of you, Lord, if this is of you, then speak to me, Lord. I remember when I went to Cricket and began to tell her we were pastoring over between Cynthia and uh, um, 
from Falmouth, driving 50 miles one way. Love those people. They loved us. We went there the first day that we went there, and when we, I finished, I was going there, uh, uh, and, and when we got there, we were just supposed to fill in for one Sunday. That's what we're going to do. When we finished, one of the deacons stood up, and he told everybody to sit down, and they started taking a vote to call me. First day I was there. And I said, wait a minute, guys. I said, it's 50 miles up here. And they said, well, will you come back and, and do an interim for us? And I said to them, yeah, I'll do that. I'll come back. And they wanted me to come back the next Sunday. And I was scheduled to preach up in Powell County someplace. And so we did go back. And so they said, well, you're going to do an interim for us, and we'll find somebody. I said, sure, we'll do that. We stayed there four years. They didn't bit more go out and look than a man in the moon. <laughs> and we loved them, and they loved us. And the last, the last service that we were in with them, they had a meeting. And they said, would you come to the meeting? And I said, sure, I'll go to the meeting. So we were sitting in the meeting, and in the meeting, all they wanted to do was just, and I like to broke our hearts. The meeting was all about asking us to stay. But we knew it was time to go. So we came back, and when we came back, God took us, and we, we, ended, up, um, we ended up interviewing in two different churches. They called us, wanted to go in front of their pulpit committees, and we did that. We came out the first one, and we got in the car, and Cricket looked over at me and said, I don't know whether you think God's calling us here, but I hope not. <laughs> it's pretty legalistic. The next one we went to, as soon as they found out I'd been pastor in a Baptist church and, I'd been, and I believed in the eternal security of the believer that I preach here all the time, I felt like I was defending the whole Baptist Reformation movement because of that. And I was ordained in the church of God. They had me on speed dial because they knew I believed that. And so anyway, uh, so... You know, I told Cricket after that was over with because they just wanted to interrogate me. I had 15 people sitting around the table, on and on and on. And so help me, I will say this to this church. You bring somebody in here that starts preaching Armenianism, so help me. I'll roll over my grave and come back and haunt every one of you if you ever do that. <laughs> but we walked out of there, and I told Cricket, I said, I'm not coming here. She said, why not? Yeah, they had a nice building. The big, you know, I, I think she sort of liked that church. I said, I'm not coming. They were nice to her. <laughs> 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 they were nice to me. I said, I'm not coming. It was after that that God began to take that vision I had, and he did it in her heart. Because you see, here's the thing you've got to understand. You and your wife and your husband and wife are one. God didn't, he's not playing with that. He means it. You're one. So you got a big decision. I had somebody come and tell me, said, uh, said, you know what? I went to Ford and bought an F-150, big Ford pickup truck, nice, and said, I just drove it home. Said, look what I just bought. I said, let me tell you something. If I'd ever done something like that to my wife, I'd been a dead man right on the front row. But that's not what God wants you to do. See, he wants to do something in your life and a vision to cause you and your wife together to see things in such a way that he can move in your home, move in your jobs, move with your children. Another thing, that it's one, in your, and I'm telling you, you do that, your children will see it in your life. And so then the Lord began to move in her heart, and she came to me, and she said, Lee, I think maybe that what you said about finding a building and I said okay Lord that's it all we did was just call one person and ask if they had a building and they did it was $500 a month I was trying to figure out how I was going to pay for $500 trying to figure it out but you know what we launched out on faith and I'm going to tell you something we never looked back God began to supply money, began to supply everything that possibly around. He took care of us. And we're here today as a result 
of us being obedient to his, his vision that he gave us. That's what I'm trying to say to you. When our Father is in something, he will begin to break down doors. And he will then begin to develop that very vision that you have. This is so important because there is no vision that God does that he also doesn't provide for. Do you hear what I'm saying? The revelation that God gives, he will not give us any revelation. It's got to be a revelation. It just can't be a vision. If it's a revelation, there is no revelation or vision that God gives that he doesn't provide for. So I stand before you today to tell you God has put once again in my heart to move on a new sanctuary. And may I say the easiest thing for me to do is just ignore it and be comfortable. I could go chase that little white ball around. I could go lay on a beach somewhere and look like a clam. After all, the church just gave me a raise. I could just chill for a while. But this is really, if this is really from the Lord, then I, just like Paul, who said I was not disobedient to heavenly vision, a vision always starts with a thought. God always works through your mind, the battlefield of the mind. And as you walk with the Lord and you trust Him over little things, this is how He works in your life, then when the Lord sees that you can handle that and be trusted with that, then He brings bigger things into your life than He might make you ruler over many. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 21. When he said, if you, he said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, uh, for you are faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And I'm telling you what he's saying here. It's not just materialistic things. It's spiritual things. Some of the things you don't understand, some of the things you're trying to handle, some of the things you're trying to figure out in your life, I'm telling you, if you'll be faithful over just a few things, he'll make you ruler over many. He will show you things. He said this, I will show you things that you know not of. But he wants to see that you're faithful. Why? When God answers prayer, here's what he's looking for. When he answers your prayer, he's looking for this. He's looking to see that he can trust you with the answer. Amen? He wants to see if he can trust you. Our history, our walk with the Lord becomes a vision. It always draws on your history or your faith in him to have a vision or to have a dream of what God. It always draws on your history or your walk with him. When David went up against Goliath, Saul asked David for his credentials. And listen to what he says in 1 Samuel 17, 31 through 36. David says, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine, Goliath. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine for fight with him, for you're just a youth and as a man of war from his youth. Listen to what David says. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, verse 35, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck it, struck it and killed it. And verse 36 says, Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. What's David saying? Listen what David did in private was the preparation for him to display his faith in public. You're not listening to me. Listen to what I said. I'm saying to you that what David did in private was the very preparation for him to do in public. Listen. 
Our strength to stand in public life and the decision-making is determined in our private life and mostly on our knees. David had a history of revision. And is that not what Jesus said to us? He said, when you pray, do not pray in front of men, but go into your closet and pray. And then what does he say? He said, when you do that, my Father will reward you in public and openly. Our strength to stand in public life and decision-making is determined in our private life and mostly on our knees. And David had a history for a vision. I believe here at Grace we have a history of how God brought us together, how he, he found us a building one time. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And when we prayed for a building, and we, we saw this building that we were in for a lot of years, and we went down there and we talked to the owner, and he said, you can't have it. He said, we've already, we've already uh, leased it out to other people. The city's paid us a, a three-month uh, uh, rent for it, so they're putting an entrepreneur building in there. And I said, well, can we at least go look at it? He looked at me crazy, and he said, yeah, you can go look at it. You can't have it. I said, well, we just let us look at it to get out of it. We went over there and looked at it. It was filthy and dirty and everything else. And when we, he got back a whole lot better building than when we get, what we gave him when it was over with. But we stood there, and we saw the cars go by and the people go by, and we just prayed, and we said, Lord, listen, if this is, this is where you've shown us, if you want us to have this building, Lord, then here's what you've got to do. You've got to do it because he's already told us we couldn't have it. We locked the doors and gave him the keys. The next day, the next day, the Winchester Sun comes out with a headline that the city had lost their grant. I called him up and I said to him, I said, hey, I said to I heard the city lost the ground. He said, yeah, I know. I don't understand what's happened. Well, I did understand what happened. My father in heaven heard, and that's where he wanted Grace Bible Church to start. Amen? Then I heard that the bank was all upset. They just built a $2 million building next door, and here a bunch of fly-by-night people were coming in there starting a church. Beverly Hillbillies was moving in next door to their <laughs> They're a $2 million building. So I went to see the president of the bank, and I went and I walked in his office, and I said, hey, I want to talk to you. I said, listen, we're going to do it the right way. We're going to build a place and have a nice place for you. It'll make, make you proud, make your building look good. He said, no, I'm not worried about it. Then he looked at me, and he said, let me ask you something. He said, uh, would you, do you, you don't use that back lot during the week, do you? And I said, no. He said, would you let my employees park over there behind that during the week? I said, well, yeah, we'll let them. He said, okay, if you'll let them do it, then you can use our parking lot next door, right next door to it, and you can park over there every Sunday. And then he said this, and in that back lot back there in that gravel? I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, we'll blacktop that for you. <laughs> Didn't cost us anything. Didn't cost us anything. We, well, then we wanted a house. We wanted a house for, uh, we wanted a house for, uh, and, and I'm telling you all this, not, this not legal. It's, I'm telling you, it's my father in heaven. We wanted a house for youth, and, and we'd prayed and prayed for a house, and, and we hadn't seen anything or, or a place that we could take our youth to. And there was a place across a Washington Street, house, and a guy had it for rent, and we went over there, and we asked him, and said, what do you need for it? And we walked, had the board over there with us. And, and uh, we walked through it, and I said, how much do you take? He said, well, it's going to be $900, $900 a month. And I said, uh, well, we come out of there, and... and uh, and, the, and, the, and the, the board said, okay, Lee, what are we going to do? I said, I got to tell you this, I don't have, I'm not at peace. See, 
When you're trying to figure out whether or not God will answer your prayer, there's two ways he's going to do it. One, he'll either tell you exactly in the word of God exactly what it is, or according to what Philippians 4 says, and the peace of God will guard your heart and your soul. He'll give you peace in the decision that you know it's absolutely from him. And I told him, I don't have peace. And someone said, well, let's go and offer him 500. I said, no. I said, it's not the money. I said, it's just, I said, I just don't have, have peace in it. We could have probably done the 900 that time because our offerings were good but you know we, we came back and they said well what are we going to do I said we're just going to wait two weeks later later this lady pulls up in front of our church in a pickup truck service is over she walks in she says are you Lee Cruz I said yes ma'am I am and she said I understand you want to rent my house well her house was out the back door of our church three stories high with the kitchen and everything in it we just had to walk across the lot to her house and somebody said so, and, and I said, well, I said, we'd like to, but I was told by the bank and everybody else, you can't deal with that woman. And she's going to move her son in there and said, you can't, you know, whatever, whatever. So, so anyway, so here we are. And I said, well, we'd like to. I said, according to how much you, how much you need for it, whatever. She said, well, you think it's worth? I said, well, we just looked at a place over here uh, across the street for $900. I said, how, uh, I said, she said, okay, $900 it is. And I could have kicked myself in the butt. I said, why didn't I say four or five? She said, $900. I said, well. I said, let me tell you something. We'd like to have it. I said, but i got to take it in front of the church and take it in front of the board before we can do that. And she looked at me like I was nuts, and then she said this. She said, no, you don't understand. She said, I'm going to give you that house for free. She said, all you got to do is send me a letter a month, and I'm giving it to you for $900 a month. And we got a whole house for free. Where we were, if we had gone ahead and decided we were paying $900 a month, you know how much that is? Figure it up. That's over $10,000, $11,000. That's what God is able to do when a group of people come together and will pray and really seek his face. This is why Romans 1.17, you know, this is why he says, Therein is the righteousness of God revealed. And how is it revealed? How is God going to reveal himself to you? Here it is. Look at this. From faith to faith to faith, to faith. You be faithful with him over a few little things, he's going to do something bigger and something bigger and something bigger until all of a sudden you're going to realize who he really is. Faith built upon faith. One situation that you trusted God that he can lead to another situation and you saw your faith grow. A vision meets others' needs also. Now let me tell you what this is called. This is called posterity gospel. I didn't say prosperity gospel that Benny Hinn right now is repenting of. I'm saying posterity gospel. There is some decision that needs to be made for the posterity of our church. Something essential for multi-generational impact positively will serve him and future generations will be told about the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. My grandchildren, your grandchildren, your great-great-great-great-grandchildren that you created a, a memorial that someday they can be pointed to like in the book of Joshua. And when Joshua said, they said, what's that memorial? He said, they'll raise a generation up and they will say, what do those stones mean? And you will say, this is what the Lord God of Israel has done for us. And that's what God wants to do. A vision helps you gather resources. We've patiently waited for the Lord to move, to give us confirmation that we can be, can't be denied, and he has. And, we'll be sh and we've shared that with you. So Paul says, I was not disobedient to a heavenly vision. And as I believe God has presented us with a tremendous opportunity, may we as a congregation not be disobedient to that 
that heavenly vision. Vision, And if we're obedient to the leading of this vision, then this vision brings victory. And why does it? Because it's not just a man's vision. It's a revelation that we need. Vision is what we see, but it's also the way in which we see. The vision must come from God. When Paul saw the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, something happened. And this is what it does. This is what the vision does. It stopped him. The vision stopped him. The vision allowed him to see who he was. Jesus asked him in, in Acts 26, 14, he asked him, is it hard for you to kick against the goats, those pointed things in the back of, of when the oxen would go, and if they kicked, it would stick them, and they wouldn't kick. He said, is it hard for you to kick against the goats? For Paul said, he was, and, and then he became Saul. He presented that to him. The vision shaped him and knocked him off his horse. Visions allowed us to see ourselves, and we see things not as they are, but as we are. The vision sent him. He was sent. I believe the Lord does that all in our lives. You may be saying, not me, but I'm going to tell you something. You were sent. You were sent to your family to live a life that, that you, you're supposed to live. You were sent to be the example. You men in here were sent to be the spiritual leader in your home. It's not your wives. It's not your wives' thing. Sometimes no wonder there's wives that don't want to commit to their husbands. Why? Because the, the father is not simply the husband is not being the spiritual leader in the home he needs to be. You were sent to your family. You are sent to your children. The person you worked beside for all these years, if they died tomorrow, do you know whether or not they're going to heaven? You were sent to your spouse. This congregation has been sent not to be comfortable, but to go into the highways and the byways and compel those that are lost and the lonely to come in. That's what God's called us to do. Oh, how limited is our estimation of what God can do when Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. When we have a vision in our life, it allows us to see others and their needs. Third thing, the vision strengthened Paul. Verse 21 and, and, and verse 22 says, For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to the small and the great, saying no others than those which prophets and Moses said would come. James tells us that God never tempts anyone, for the temptation means to cause to fall. But he tells us what? He tells us he, trust, he, he tests us. He tells us to count it all joy when we fall into various things. I don't know too many people who won the lottery that they actually say they can became better people. But boy, I know boatloads of people who went through tough times, went through cancers, went through death, and the Lord changed them for the better, and they sing now, they sing the very praises, very praises of God. When God gives you a vision or something to accomplish or something to overcome, when you and I preserve through, persevere through, when we come out of the other side, we're strengthened. But let me tell you what. Here's the fourth thing. The vision will stretch you. God can accomplish unbelievable things through us when we allow him to mold us and we, and we just trust him. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, But we have this treasure in earth and vessels. Listen to this, that the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. The disciples were just a group of fishermen, tax collectors, shepherds, yet God stretched them and they turned the world upside down. David, just a ruddy boy, God stretched him and he killed Goliath and became became king of Israel. What can God do with you if you allowed him to stretch you? And what would happen to this congregation if we allowed God to stretch us? Truly begin to trust him. I know it's so comfortable just sitting back, but to be able to look back and know that God did what you were a part of, oh man. 
The vision will satisfy us. It gives us purpose in God's kingdom. And yours and my obedience to the vision motivates us to act. It fulfills us. There's something inside when we can look and see this is what God did through us. The God who made you and me knows that what will fulfill us, what truly will give us satisfaction, and that's Christ. If we don't, for our, uh, we have a choice. The Lord will not force us to do anything. It says earlier in Proverbs 29, 18, remember? It says, where there is no vision, people perish. But listen to this last, last part of that verse. People cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. When people don't have a vision, when they don't have a purpose, that we're, we're an evangelical church and we're supposed to be going out and bringing people in, when we don't see that, people just begin to go haywire. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraint, is what one version says. We need to get a vision about what the Lord wants us to do. The message says if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Vision gives pain and pain a purpose. Those without a vision take up the path of least resistance. I once read a story in a book of... The title of the book was The Savior for All Seasons. It was written by William Barker. And here's what he tells. He tells of a bishop from the East Coast who paid a visit to a small Midwestern religious college. And he stopped by the house of the college president who also served as professor of physics and chemistry. And after dinner, the bishop declared the millennium couldn't be very far off because just about everything about Nature had been discovered and there was no more things to invent, is what this bishop said. The young college president politely disagreed and said that there would be many more discoveries. When the angered bishop challenged the president to name just one more invention, just name one more invention, the president replied that he believed in 50 years that man would be flying. Nonsense, sputtered the outraged bishop. Only angels are intended to fly. The bishop's last name was Wright. He had two boys at home. One was named Orville, and the other was named Wilbur. The Apostle Paul prayed that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. I gave our board members some tapes several months ago to listen to tapes from Sagemont Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. This church has raised millions of dollars without going in debt on anything. And how they did this was only by God's grace. Dr. John Morgan, his pastor, one of the board members slipped in, I think it was Mark, I'm not sure, slipped into my office and stole my tapes uh, one time, and I couldn't find them. So I called out there to Sagemont to order some more tapes, and when I did, when I did, they, uh, they said, well, we'll send them to you, send them to free, so they sent me some more tapes. But I asked about their pastor. I said, well, you know, I figured he'd not. No, he's still there. Fifty years he's been at this church. Don't think I'm going to make 50 here. Don't, I don't believe that. But anyway. But the stories. See, this is what I want. What to experience here. If we do this, it's not just building a building, guys. It's what we can experience about the Lord. What we can see in the Lord. He says that one time they were trying to raise some money to build a building. And when they did, says he looked out there and said, to, said, he, uh, said he was trying to, he was real serious. And everybody trying to tell him about raising money. Said about midway back in the church, there was this little bitty boy and he was standing on the pew, and he was doing this, raising his hand like this. And he said, I'd look over here, and I tried to ignore him, and, and said he would be over here doing it again. I went over here. He'd still be doing it. He'd be doing it here, doing it here, doing it here, doing it here, doing it here. And says, finally, he says, 
I just got exhausted from it, and I said, I said, I said John, what do you want, son? What do you want? He said, preacher, he said, I want to tell my mama to take me home. He says, I've got $46 at home. I've been saving to buy me a record player and says, I want to give that $46 to the church because we need a building more than I need a record player. He said, when that kid said that, the rest of them just went, ugh. He said, that day we raised $46,000. He said, God blessed us 10% more. And another time they were trying to raise, and they were trying to, they were, that church was trying to raise a million dollars. And people were giving because they really believed that that's what was really taking place. And said people had given and given, and they just hadn't made it yet. And said, so when they got ready to do it, there's one little lady came forward in the church, and she said, uh, he said, so what can I do for you? She said, preacher, says, I've given, I don't have a lot of money to give. Says, but my husband gave me, gave me, uh, a ring for Christmas and I want to take that ring and I want to give it to the church and he said I looked at her and I said to her are you sure you want to do this she said yes sir I really want to do this and she took that ring off and handed it to him and other people saw her he said I hadn't made it to my office yet and somebody come up to me and said preacher said, let me see that ring that woman gave you he looked at it and he, she said what do you think that's worth he said, well, I've been told this might be worth it because the guy said it might be worth about $600. He said, okay. He said, I'm going to write you a check for $600 on one condition. You take that ring and you give it back to that woman. So he wrote a check for $600. He said, the time I got to my office, the line down the hallway was stretched up. First person come in and says, preacher, can I see that ring? Said it went on and on and on and on and on like that. Says how? What do you think it's worth? Six hundred dollars? He said. Uh, the next morning, when he got to church, said there was a doctor there in town. Says I pulled in the parking lot. That doctor was sitting on his hood of his car. Wait. Says I pulled in. He said, What can I do for you? He said, You still got that ring? He said, Yes. Yeah. Says what do you think it's worth? Six. About about. They're telling me. Said, I wasn't going to tell him. I had sent that ring back. Six hundred dollars. So get $600. He said, okay, so I'm writing you a check for $600. When it was all over, they raised 6000 something dollars off that woman giving that ring. Now, let me tell you the rest of the story, though. He went in his office, and he, he didn't believe it, and, and one of his pastors came in and said, preacher said, uh, I heard that whatever that lady's name said, she had a rough time at home. She went home, and she told her husband what, she, what he'd done and said he was really upset. He said, you call her and tell her to come on in here. So she came in and, she, and said, all she said was, says, says, Pastor, wasn't that a glorious night? All people giving and everything else. And she said, oh, yeah. I said, oh, yes. He said, he said, yes, it was. He said, but I got to tell you something. You know that ring you gave me? Yeah. He says, we've raised $6,000 with it, and everybody that came to me told me I had to give it back to you, and I'm giving it back. And she just sat there and just wept, just wept. And she said, oh, preacher, I don't know what to say. She went home and told her husband what had happened. He came back with a check for $1,000. Not only that, he got saved. You see what I'm saying? It's not just about giving money that we're going to try to raise, whatever. Here's what I'm saying. If we are faithful to the Lord, what can God do with this congregation? What can he do with us? You know? 
What can he do with this congregation? What could we do? And and else is this. So if we decide to do this, what can God do with this congregation and with your life could be a life-changing experience for you and your family and those who watch from afar. Let me tell you something. You know, I, 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 uh, this past week as I went to, uh, I did Walter's funeral, uh, the funeral director came up Lisa, and said, Lee, I need to see him in my office. And I went in the office. He said, uh, this lady came and gave me this and said, you need to, you, told me that you need to see this. And I said, well, okay. He said, no, you need to see it. I opened it up. It was a check for $5,000. You know, there are people, and, there, and listen, we've already been given fifteen to $20,000 from people and already people that are not even part of our church, guys. Why? Because they're watching to see what we're fixing to do what we're fixing to do. And I believe that with all my heart and soul. But you know what the most important thing of all is? That you're saved. That you come to a place of knowledge of Jesus Christ. That you know Jesus more than anything else. Whether we build this building or not, that's not it. It's whether or not you're ready to go to heaven. Because Jesus may come before this building gets built. He may come before we walk out of this building tonight. And I believe that with everything that's in me. He's coming. And so I'm just simply asking you this morning, if you're here and you've never given your heart and your soul to the Lord, boy, this is the day. Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before people. That you say, Lord, I'm not ashamed of you what you did. You died for me on the cross, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to give my heart and soul to you. And some, you know, I had, had someone ask, oh, is it that simple? Yes, it's that simple. Yes, it's that simple. He made it that simple for you. And the more I read the word, the more I realize what he's done. What he's done. Guys, if you'll come. Father, I pray in the simple name of Jesus what I've tried to do here, Lord.